My name is Alex Rosa. I'm one of our pastors here at New Life. And I just want to let you know, if you're a first-time guest or you're back here after being gone for a little while, I want you to know that we've been praying and planning for your arrival today. And we're just so thankful that you decided to invest some of your Christmas season with us. I also want to say for my family, my personal family, Rachel, my wife, and our three boys, but also from our New Life staff family to all of you, Merry Christmas. And we would love and we're praying that you have just a wonderful Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Today, we're talking about holy moments. We're talking about holy moments because life isn't often defined or even remembered by specific days, weeks, months, or years. It's often remembered in moments. It's defined by those moments that we hold dear to us. And because Christmas, although wonderful quite often, it's also one of the most busy times of the year, today I pray that we just give you a gift for being here, just a gift of a moment to slow down and take a deep breath and to relax in the presence of God through the power of his word. And a moment to slow down and take a deep breath, I'm sure is exactly what Joseph and Mary wanted on that first Christmas. You see, while Mary was nine months pregnant, the Caesar at the time made a census. That meant everyone had to return to their ancestral homes. For Mary and Joseph, that meant they had to travel all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And that was about 100 miles through desert. Probably would have taken them anywhere from 10 days and and 10 nights to get all the way there. And during that time, they would have had to endure hot days and cold nights. Eventually, they did arrive in Bethlehem. But when they did, they couldn't find anywhere to stay and eventually settled down in a stable I can't imagine the emotions that were going through them. I mean, Mary, a pregnant teenager, pregnant with the Holy Spirit, but also Joseph and Mary, who had just been married, were trying to figure out what this newlywed life is all about. And on top of that, they were preparing to raise the Son of God. And then in a holy moment, while they were in that stable, Jesus arrived. He came into this earth and was born from Mary. And then right after that, a group of shepherds kind of broke in. And I don't know if they broke in or just like knocked or barged in, but they came in to see Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had a kid or been to a hospital when a baby was born and like people descend on that baby like flies on some old food. And that was our, our first baby. That was just like, it was overwhelming. And I don't know what they were doing, Mary and Joseph, but having a bunch of strangers, shepherds show up to look at your baby must have been a little weird. But either way, that happened. And then they left in a hurry to go tell everyone, the Savior is here. He has been born. And finally, Mary and Joseph were able to breathe and have a moment to reflect. And we hear about this from Luke in his account of Jesus in his life. And I love Luke because what he did was he went around and he interviewed people. He interviewed people that knew Jesus, who interacted with Jesus, who were eyewitnesses to Jesus and his miracles. And we have a lot of historical evidence for Jesus. And Luke is one of those accounts. And historians even believe that Luke interviewed Mary because we get a lot of inside information from what she was feeling and experiencing that you can't really get any way else than Luke probably interviewing Mary. And this is what Luke writes about that moment. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. 
So the shepherds went out. They told the good news. People were astonished. But Mary, she got to sit there and she kept all these things in her heart. That word kept is translated from a Greek word. And that's because the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word that was there is the word suntere. And it's a fun word to say. I'm not going to make you all say it right now. But if you want to do one of these later, suntere, you'll find it's worth your while. It's just a fun word to say. And suntere didn't only mean keep or kept. It had a deep meaning. And it's this. To exert mental effort in storing information so as to have continual access and use of it, to cause oneself to be fully aware of, to keep in mind, to remember. Mary wanted to make sure that everything she had just experienced, everything even probably leading up to that moment, was kept in such a way that she could come back to it later. Other translations of the word suntere are treasure or protect or preserve. So she treasured these things. And why did she treasure them? It's because the birth of Jesus was an anticipated holy moment. In fact, this is our take-home point. The one point the message is all about today. And it's that Jesus' birth was the most anticipated holy moment of all time, of all history. Jesus' birth was the most anticipated holy moment. For thousands of years, the Jewish people longed, waited, hungered for the day that the Savior would come to this earth. All history whispered the name of Jesus, and it still does. And Mary and Joseph got to be there and participate in the birth that had been planned since the beginning of time. And I mean the beginning of time. You see, in the beginning, God created everything, and the pinnacle of his creation were human beings. He made Adam and Eve, the very first two humans, to live in the Garden of Eden. And in that garden, God's presence was there perfectly. It was a place where heaven and earth completely overlapped. And humans got to walk and talk in the presence of God. That's because God loves humans. And he loves humans so much that he gave Adam and Eve and he gives us a choice. We can choose to love him or we can choose not to. We can choose to define good and evil on our terms or on God's terms. And he made that decision clear to Adam and Eve. He said, you can eat from any fruit in this garden except for the tree of good and evil. Unfortunately, an enemy broke into the garden. We call him Satan. He showed up as a serpent. And he gave Adam and Eve that choice again. He asked them if they wanted to eat the fruit. But really what he was asking was, do you want to define good and evil on your own terms? And to that... They answered yes. They took and ate. And in a moment, they soon would regret because God would come and walk through the garden. They would go and hide from him. They would learn that they walked away from the path that God had for them. Now, it's easy to pile on to Adam and Eve and kind of blame them for everything because of their sin. But we often do the same thing. We say things, we do things, we make choices that are against God's plan and will for our lives. Sometimes we're in a conversation and we have a little disagreement and we know that we could just end that disagreement peacefully. We could say, well, okay, well, I disagree with you, but I still love you. But something sometimes in our head goes, well, I want to win. I want to win this fight. And it becomes more than just about the issue. It becomes about the person. And instead of even talking about the issue, sometimes we just go low and, and attack the person. So much so that when it's done, we might feel victorious, but oftentimes we feel quite guilty and remorseful for what happened. And either way, whether we feel guilty or not, we are not following God's plan for loving other people when we do that. Or maybe we hoard. Maybe God's given us a lot of gifts and then there's a need that arises. 
God maybe even prompts our heart with the Holy Spirit to go and help in some way, help some cause. And we know we can, we have the means to, but we go, well, I've earned this. This is mine. I don't want to give it out. And maybe later on when we see the need still going on, we might feel guilty. But either way, we haven't given as God calls us to give. Or maybe your child pees on the floor for like the hundredth time and it makes you so mad that you just punch the bathroom door. Now that's just like a hypothetical, just like one of those examples. <laughs> on a side note, if you're ever in my downstairs bathroom and you see the picture of David and Goliath taped on it, that's uh, no reason, uh, just some art. And you don't need to look underneath it because that would be rude, no hole or anything like that. Just, it's just, just there off center for no reason, it's good. We do things sometimes that we regret and then we realize, okay, this isn't a part of God's plan for our lives. And we understand in those moments that there is a penalty for our actions. And God is good and God is just. So he enacts a penalty against our sins. There just is a penalty there. And Adam and Eve soon found that out. They found that out by leaving the garden. They were moved from the garden as sin and death entered this world. And unfortunately for them and for creation, it separated this heaven and earth dwelling place for humanity and for God. But in a moment, a moment of redemption that showcased God's great love for people, he told us about a plan that he had for our redemption, for our rescue, to bring us back into the kingdom of heaven forever. And he detailed that in the very third chapter of the Bible. It says this in Genesis chapter three. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. If you've ever wondered, why does Satan show up as a snake, as a serpent? It's because oftentimes in God's word, when there's a time of trial or temptation, it occurs in the wilderness. Maybe it's a literal wilderness or it's a spiritual wilderness, but during those times, the enemy shows up as a wilderness creature, a scorpion or a snake. And that's because it's the opposite of the garden. It's the opposite of how we were created to exist and live. And God wants to bring us back to that garden state where we can go back and live with him and walk and dwell in his perfect presence for eternity. And so God set this plan up. And when he set it up, God's people were excited. They were anticipating this moment when someday this rescuer would come, this victor would arrive and crush Satan's head while his heel was bitten. And there's this illusion whenever the heel was bitten to the idea of venom going through someone and them dying. But it was sure that this victor would still rescue God's people. And so they anticipated this moment. And we, as people, understand anticipation. Maybe it's something as little as when you order an Amazon package, and then you start to track it when it gets closer to your house. And then you're like, okay, it's about 30 minutes away, but then it's like two streets away, and then it's right there. Then you nonchalantly, maybe that's just me, go onto your porch, and you're like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? That's a package for who? Me? No way. Thanks, Tom. See you tomorrow. And then you're just so excited for that package. Or maybe when the Steelers are really, really good, which isn't really right now, even with the win last night, when they're really good and they win the AFC championship and the Super Bowl is two weeks away, feels like those two weeks take forever. It just time slows down as you're excited and anticipating the big game. Or maybe Christmas Eve. 
Christmas Eve, it's hard to sleep as we anticipate what's going to happen the next day. And that's not only for kids, that's for us adults as well. It's hard to, to sleep because we're just so amped up and excited with anticipation. And that was the state of the whole nation of Israel. They were waiting, longing for a savior. So much so that any time a leader would arise or a ruler or a king, the people would start to wonder, is this the victor? Is this the rescuer? Is this the redeemer that's gonna come? Unfortunately, all of those people eventually chose just as Adam and Eve did, just as we do. They eventually chose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so it was clear they weren't gonna save us. But even with that, even with humanity's sin, when we walked away from him, God never diverted from his plan. He never does. He's true to his word. And he was still planning on redeeming us. And in fact, every word of the Old Testament whispers the name of Jesus. All of it is pointing to the day when the Savior arrives. And the Savior eventually comes and saves us from sin and death. God even spoke words to his prophets who would then speak to the nation to give them hope of what was coming. He even spoke to King David, one of Israel's most famous kings. And King David said, someday a rescuer would come and they would be the son of God. Isaiah, a prophet, said, and this is the words from God, that the Redeemer was going to come, and he was going to come from the line of David, and he was going to be born of a virgin. And that's so specific. If you were making up a prophecy, you probably wouldn't say something that specific. You might say like, oh yeah, they're going to come someday and have brown hair, give yourself some room for error. But no, if you're speaking the words of God, you can be as specific as you want, because God knew what was going to happen. And so Isaiah spoke those words to the people. And then Daniel, a prophet, even had a vision of what was going to someday occur. And this is what Daniel said. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people, and this is important, of every race and nation, and language would obey him. His role is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. It's important to know that Daniel wrote that while he and the whole nation of Israel were in exile. It was a time where they felt far from God because they were far from their home. They were in anguish. They were in turmoil. But God wanted to remind them that there was hope he was coming. There was going to be a day of redemption for the people. Today, if you are in a time of anguish or of trouble, maybe you feel distant from God. Or maybe as you look forward to Christmas, you don't have the butterflies like some people do. Maybe your family was like mine in high school, where at every holiday, we only had one tradition. And that tradition was at some point to get in a large argument where everyone cried. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your family. And so you look forward to it and you say, oh, man. I'm not that encouraged. But Jesus has come to give us hope as well. The same hope that the people of Israel could look forward to, we can now know for sure that he has come and we can have that same hope for our redemption that God wants us in relationship with him. And so after thousands of years from that first moment when God said that Satan's head was gonna be crushed and the heel would be bitten, after hundreds of years after Daniel had that vision, the savior of the world came into the world for people of every nation. And he was born to a virgin 
who was married to a man in the line of David, both fulfilling the prophecies from Isaiah. And Jesus was born in that little town of Bethlehem in the holiest of moments in a stable. And Mary and Joseph, they got to reflect soon Terry, they got to treasure these things in their heart, everything that probably led up to that moment and everything that happened during that time. And as we do the same thing today, as we treasure, as we keep, as, as we preserve what Jesus did, as we soon tarry, we can rejoice because God, he never forgets his promises and has always worked, always worked to bring us into relationship with him. His promises, his prophecies, his plan was in place for you and me. He put that in place so that we would come into relationship with him. Jesus left his perfect dwelling place in heaven to come to this earth so that we would be reunited with God. So we'd have this opportunity to come back into God's presence to walk and talk and dwell with him. And the birth was part of that promise. But it wasn't the end of the promise. There was more work for Jesus to do. And Joseph and Mary found that out pretty soon after Jesus was born. Eight days after he was born, they brought him to the temple. And when they brought him to the temple, they met a guy named Simeon. Now, Simeon had previously heard from God that he would not die until he met the Savior. And so you can imagine his anticipation as he longed for that day. He didn't have a timetable. He was just waiting. And then one day he sees Mary and Joseph enter the temple. And as they enter, they're carrying this baby Jesus. And he knows this is the son of God. So he runs over and he grabs the baby and he lifts him up. And at that moment, I can imagine Joseph and Mary like side-eyeing one another like, is this okay? A stranger just grabbed our baby and lifted him up. But it was okay because he then starts praising God. And Simeon said this, sovereign Lord, now, let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. It sounds very similar to what Daniel saw. And he is the glory, God's supernatural nature of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. So Simeon reminded them of the truths that the angels had already told Mary and Joseph. But he reminds us as well that Jesus is this savior that was foretold, that had been arriving for thousands of years. This is the one that came into the world for all nations. He also reminded Joseph and Mary about what God said at the beginning of time, that there would be trouble, that there would be opposition, and there would be pain ahead. It was part of the plan. In fact, he even said it would be like a sword that pierces Mary's soul. As Jesus grew up, it became very obvious. And as we read about him, it's very clear that he is the savior of the world. He is the redeemer, the rescuer, the victor that came into this world. On this earth, he told people how to live in such a way to bring God's kingdom back to earth. That when the kingdom of heaven can come and dwell with man again, he gave instructions on how to live. He also did these amazing miracles like forgiving sins and healing disease. And in doing so, again, he had these moments where heaven and earth overlapped and people experienced the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus was very clear who he was. He called himself quite often the son of man who Daniel saw in that vision. He also called himself the son of God who David told us was coming to save the world. And Jesus was perfect. He did what no one else is able to do. He always chose to define good and evil by what God said it is and never by his own terms. He even had chances to go against that. He had trials and he had temptations, even in the wilderness, but he never succumbed to them. He always followed God perfectly. And because of that, the rulers of that time started to get jealous, angry of his power. They had power on this earth and they did not want to relinquish it. They didn't want to share it with the authority that Jesus spoke with. They're really misunderstanding what power is. There's no way we can rob God of his power. It's not possible. And Jesus is God. He's always existed. So they couldn't take it from him, but they tried. They put him on a cross. They didn't even know that Jesus was allowing all of this to happen, but he did allow it to happen. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross for us talked earlier about how there's a penalty for our sins. Anytime we go against God's plan and what Jesus wanted to do and what he did do was he paid for that penalty. He paid for all the things that we've done wrong and will do wrong. He, he paid for all those holes in the wall, all those times we fight with people, all those times where we keep to ourselves what God has asked us to give. He died for all of that. And then three days later, because he is God, Death could not hold him and he came back from the dead. And when he did that, he broke the chains that sin and death have over us. And now if we trust in him as Lord, which means master, owner, and God, and if we believe in him as our savior, our rescuer from sin and death, once more humans, we get to come into relationship with God. We get to walk and talk and dwell with him. Once again, heaven and earth can overlap and we can enjoy his kingdom of heaven here on earth and we can exist as we were meant to exist. I know some of you might be thinking, well, that might be true for you, but it might not be true for me. You might be thinking of that sin that's so great in your mind that you can't even think about without feeling guilt. Or maybe you're thinking of that habitual sin that just goes over and over and you just can't defeat. Or maybe it's those little things where you just break in anger sometimes, maybe even on the way here to your spouse and you just get angry and you say, okay, well, this, this can't be for me. But Jesus knew all of that stuff. He knew all of it. God knew all of it. And he still said, I want to die for that. We can't out his grace and his mercy and his gift. His, his gift is great enough that it washes away all of our sins and makes us new when we come to know him. And he wants those to be washed away. Why? So we can walk and talk and dwell in his kingdom. He's invited us in his kingdom. And the cool thing is he also invites us to join his rescue plan for the earth. He invites us to join his rescue plan by bringing his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven here to earth. And we do that by living as Jesus taught us to live. And make no mistake, the kingdom of heaven isn't just for tomorrow. It's not just for when we die, it's for that too. But it's also for right here and now. God wants us to walk and talk with God every single day. He wants us to be in his presence. God's word even says he wants us to go from glory to glory where he experiences supernatural nature all the time. And that's how we were designed to live. And we can be a part of that rescue plan for humanity by living as Jesus taught us to live. So when we forgive people as Jesus freely forgives us, when we forgive people even when they wrong us, we show them Jesus and we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And when we give when we give sacrificially, even when it hurts, we're being like God who gave his son to us, who died and rose again for us. 
And when we give to people, we're bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And when we love people, when we love people in such a way that looks past their exterior and past their actions to their hearts, we love people as God loves us. Who he doesn't just see the exterior, he sees our hearts and he sees us as the pinnacle of his creation. After all, God chose shepherds who were the lowest in society to come and see Jesus when he was born, setting this precedence for the world that he has come for everyone. And that's what the prophet said. That's what Simeon said. He has come for every nation. And so when we love people, despite their actions, despite their appearance or anything like that, we love them as God loves them and we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. So you and I, we get to have this opportunity this Christmas season. Over this next week, let us look for opportunities to bring God's kingdom to earth. Let us love people, forgive people, and give to people in such a way that it creates these moments that God can use to create holy moments that allow people to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven here on earth and forever. And we can do that through today's next step, which says, I will participate in the kingdom of heaven this week. I'll participate in God's kingdom here on earth this week. We could do that by loving and forgiving and giving, but we can start doing that by giving our lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's how we start participating in his kingdom. If you're here today, and if you've never given your life over to Jesus as Lord and Savior, you've never walked into the kingdom of heaven on earth, I'm going to tell you that there's no greater decision you can make. Why not today? Why not this Christmas season? Walk into the presence of God He will make you new. He will take all those sins away and he'll bring you into relationship with him now and forever. You might think, well, that might be too hard or difficult. I can't do that. But here at New Life, we say it's actually as simple as ABC. A, meaning we just have to admit at first who we are and who he is. We admit that we sin, we fall short. We do things that we're not supposed to do. We punch the door. We do these things that we are going against God's plan for us. And then we admit who he is. We admit that Jesus is the son of God and the savior, the rescuer from sin and death. We also believe, we believe in Jesus and who he said he is, but we also believe in him as our Lord, which means master, owner, God, and also our savior. And then we confess not only our sins, but our need, and we do need him, our need for Jesus as Lord and savior. And we commit to living not by ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now we're gonna pray And if you've already trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'd encourage you to invest this time by praying for those in the room or online who have not yet trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if today you want to make that choice and you have not done so before, I'm going to say a prayer and I'd encourage you to pray with me, to make it your own in your own heart and mind, but speak to the God of the universe who created you, who loves you, who holds you dear as the pinnacle of his creation and wants to have this relationship with you. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for being here in the room right now. I thank you for sending Jesus. And now I pray that you'll hear our prayers. You'll hear the prayers of all those who want to trust in you as Lord and Savior for the first time today. As we pray, dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I believe Jesus, your only son, came, died, and rose again for me. I admit and I'm a sinner, and I fall short of your perfect standard to follow you always. Forgive me of my sins, make me a new creation today, and bring me into your family 
and your presence and your kingdom now and forever. Holy Spirit, please fill me and guide me today, tomorrow, and for eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And dear God, for all of us, no matter where we are today, God, I pray that you will fill us, that you'll bring us to a point where we see and we hear from you, we walk with you every day. Help us to put aside our desire to define good and evil on our own terms and help us to embrace what you have made, what you have created and the way that you define good and evil so we can follow perfectly in your presence. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.